Philippians chapter 4 is our passage today. We're going to be starting in verse 4. And the title of our lesson today is called Life-Changing Peace. Life-Changing Peace. Philippians 4, 4 to 9. It's a pretty famous passage. But we're going to look at that here in a little bit. Before I get there, of course, I'm going to ask you a question. Did you ever have a guilty pleasure? If anyone knows what that is, it's something that you kind of like, but you also feel guilty for liking it. For whatever reason, maybe it's childish. Maybe it's, as we'll get here in a little bit, maybe it's a music style that maybe you're not ready to fess up to. I might ask you some questions during this top 10, so be ready. But I'm going to give you my top 10 guilty pleasures for adults. Top 10 things that adults kind of like, but we maybe feel a little guilty that we like them. Now think about your own list. What would be on your own list of guilty pleasures? Here are the 10 things that I came up with, and I'm not judging anybody, okay? Some of these are mine. Some of these are my guilty pleasures. Number 10, for adults, again, video games and cartoons. Now, maybe it's not even guilty anymore. There used to be a sort of a taboo that when you would play video games, you'd play as a child or you'd play for your child. Like when I play video games, it's typically alongside of my children. But if I'm down there without my children for countless hours, someone's going to worry. Um, but I want to ask you a question. Does anyone have a favorite video game or cartoon currently? They would say yes. What is it? Call of Duty. Call of Duty. <laughs> I was worried you were going to say like Kirby or something like that. Barbie. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty grown up one. Anyone else favorite cartoon or video game that you still kind of like? Would watch if it was on or play if you had it? Okay. None of us. Go ahead. Kirby. The Kirby series. Well, you should come over and play with my kids. No, Kirby's kind of like, it's kind of like Mario-ish. But it's more of a child Mario. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, I, I played video games as an adult for quite a while. So um, uh, now I don't feel so guilty because I can get away with it. I have children. I just say it's for the kids. I just grab a child or, or not, and I just go downstairs and play. And we play video games on our phones too, right? So, so I wonder what your guilty pleasure there is. Here's number nine, which I kind of have a love-hate relationship with. It's Legos and coloring. Now, depending on who you are and what your style is, adults putting Legos together is still fun. It's still fun. Now, when my children get Legos, I, literally let, I usually let them go first, and then I'll join next to them and start putting it together. Again, for them, for the child, not for me. But Legos I have a love-hate relationship with because if they're, if they're on the floor and you're barefoot, you guys, you guys know the equation there. Um, but coloring, my wife likes coloring. Sorry, Janine, to throw you into the bus, but still like, it's for the kids. It's for the kids, I promise. But there's a guilty pleasure. Here's number eight that I've caught myself doing recently. It's singing catchy pop songs when they come on the radio. Now, I did this in Weiss the other day. I was in Weiss, and I, I, I wish I could remember what song it was, because you guys would make fun of me. But a catchy pop song came on, and it, come on. I mean, right? It's kind of like singing in the shower. A little bit is going to come, especially if you know the song pretty well. I'm not going to sing it, like, out loud so everyone can hear me, but I'm pretending to shop for Doritos, and I'm singing the song, and catchy pop songs. Here's number seven. Playing in the sand and in the snow. Now, look at that guy. That guy was playing in the sand for quite a while, and... I tried to find a picture of my sister the other day, went out and built a snowman with the children, but we took a picture of that happening and the children were nowhere to be found. It was my sister and a snowman. That was her guilty pleasure. Playing in the sand and the snow is still fun for adults. In fact, when we take our kids to the park, they like to play in the sand. And I have that like dual nature of me that says, guys, don't get sand in your shoes and your socks. And part of me wants to just get in there and play with them because it looks fun. 
Here's number six. Maybe you guys do this already as well. It's wearing fun sneakers. Now, there, there comes a point in your life where you're supposed to wear grown-up shoes, right? But for my birthday this year, I got my first pair of Air Jordans. I never had Air Jordans before. My friend, my best friend, my lifelong best friend decided it was time for me to have Air Jordans. And I said, Josh, I'm 42. I should have had these at 16. Will I wear them? Yeah, I'll wear them. Let's be honest, because they're a guilty pleasure. Wearing fun sneakers. Here's number five. Um, no rude comments here, but uh, bathroom humor. Bathroom humor. I know I shouldn't laugh, but when there's, when there's bathroom humor, it's just funny. Like, our Alexa has this thing where you can actually make it do some bathroom noises. I don't want to get too crass there, but uh, the kids love it, and it's, it's actually pretty funny. Um, bathroom humor is a guilty pleasure for adults. Here's number four. Maybe this is one even isn't even guilty anymore because everyone seems to love this. It's superheroes. Back in the day, everyone had their favorite superhero. Let me ask you your favorite superhero. Anyone have a favorite superhero that they still like to this very day? Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. Who is it? Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk. What about back there? Batman. Batman. Oh, a little Marvel DC rival there going on. Anyone else, T? I don't like it anymore. No superheroes. Oh, he, look at this. The man grew up. Now we all feel guilty that we still like him. It's all ruined. It's all ruined. Oh, is that it? Okay. Here's number three, uh, guilty pleasure for adults. <laughs> this picture's funny. Halloween. Now, again, Halloween, if you're a parent, is generally for the kids, but this guy took it to a next level. Looks kind of like my age. I'm guessing that he's a bunch of grapes. I don't really know what's going on there. He's got the bucket. He's got the picture, and he's ready to go. And uh, Halloween for adults is still pretty fun. It still is. We look forward to Halloween in our, in our house. Here's number two. This is my most embarrassing of the entire list. It's mommy taking care of you. Um, now, <laughs> I don't want that shirt. Don't buy me that shirt. Those of you who are thinking, oh, we got a mom's boy here. Now, my mom the other day sent me this text. She said, Todd, I have two loaves of bread. What was the other thing? I have two loaves of bread and some kind of like medicine that I needed. And she's like, I'm going to drop it off later. And I said, oh, I was kind of like happy that my mom was still making me bread at age 42 and making sure I had the right medicine for whatever ailment I had. Mommy taking care of you. And here's number one that I see more than I should probably. It's adults in jammies. Okay, not even pajamas, but like the jammies with the footies. Anyone want to confess? Still? I like how you double dip there, the jammies and the bathroom humor there. We got, we got both there. No, I, I legitimately have, I'll, I'll bring them in, I'll wear them. Yeah. Wow, okay, all right, well, we look forward to that. Then I'll have a new top ten. Top ten things you shouldn't do in church. Thank you, Kevin, for playing along. I appreciate that. There's some guilty pleasures. Kevin might have his own list. Um, the reason I bring that up is because sometimes in life we need things that make us Happy. Is that true? We need, we need happiness and joy in our life. Today we're going to look at something like that. We're going to call today's lesson life-changing peace. Because if you have peace in your life, it changes your life. If you have real God-like peace, it will change your life. Join me in Philippians chapter 4 and read verses 4 to 9 with me. The Apostle Paul speaking. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Life-changing peace is what we're talking about today. Now, we've learned recently in our past lessons how to have joy in the midst of grief. We've also learned how to be strong in the face of weakness. And today, the Lord is going to teach us how to find peace in every circumstance of life, even or especially the tumultuous ones. Now, I know many of us have heard verses 4 to 6. If you look down to your Bibles again, verses 4 and 6 probably look pretty familiar to you. Those are verses we use a lot and often let stand on their own. But it's amazing to see these verses in their proper context. And it's always best and safe to keep verses in their proper context. So let's do that today. Let's look at these familiar passages to us in their context because I think they gain even more power by doing that. We're going to give us three solutions today. Three solutions to life changing peace or three strategies to life changing peace and they're all found right in the text here's number one it's quite simple paul says rejoice in the lord again i will say rejoice or rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice notice the lack of qualifiers to that verse simply what rejoice in the lord always and paul repeats himself and says again i will say Rejoice. Don't you love the simplicity sometimes of the Bible? Simply rejoice. No five-step program. Simply rejoice in the Lord. I love the simplicity there. Now, this is an imperative, okay? This is a commandment. Paul is giving us a commandment to rejoice in the Lord, but it sounds to me like it's strong advice and counsel from someone who wants to help us, from someone who can help us, from someone who has faced a lot of adversity in his own life. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote this very passage, he did not seem to have the life of someone who would be writing about rejoicing. He just didn't. Maybe Paul could have wrote a book about grief. He definitely could have. He could, definitely could have wrote a book about sadness and disappointment. But rejoicing? What did Paul have to rejoice about? From Paul's own mouth, in another passage in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul details exactly what he has gone through in his life. And I want you to think about and read this with me. It's 2 Corinthians 11. I don't know if you've ever heard this passage, but this passage is shocking. I want you to listen to what Paul says about his own life. In verse 11 in 2 Corinthians, sorry, verse 24, he says this five times. Think about this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now let me explain that a little bit. Back in the day, if they wanted to give you corporate punishment, they would give you these lashes with, like, whips, okay? And 40 was supposed to kill a person. If someone received 40, that was enough to kill somebody. So often, if they wanted to send a strong message but didn't want to kill you, they would back it off by one and give you a full 39 so that you didn't die, or they could at least say we didn't give them the full 40, but they would strike you 39 times. Paul says five times that happened to me. I received at the hands of the Jews, his own people, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now that's a different beating with a different instrument. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. They literally would pick up stones and throw them at someone in order to kill them. 
they did that. They thought Paul was dead. He was down. He was bloodied. They left, and Paul wasn't actually dead. He got back up. He continued to serve the Lord, but he was stoned. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. Now, think about that. If you're shipwrecked once, you're having a bad life, okay? If you've been shipwrecked before and your, your boat has crashed into the rocks and you've been in the ocean, that's a bad day. That's a bad year. That's a bad life. Paul says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Think about that. A night and a day he's in the open water in the sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Does that sound to you like a prologue to a book about rejoicing? No, it doesn't, does it? And yet, this is the same person who wrote Philippians chapter 4, the very same person. In fact, I believe he wrote Philippians after Corinthians. So either Paul has lost his mind by the time he wrote Philippians, or he knew something we yet don't. Is it possible that through all of that, Paul was still rejoicing in the Lord? Now, I want us to notice this phrasing. This is very important. Notice what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Notice, he does not say rejoice in your circumstances, does he? Rejoicing because of horrible circumstances is not what we're commanded to do, and quite frankly, that's a silly notion. Now, I want you to imagine Paul being shipwrecked and beaten with rods and beaten with a whips and... and rejoicing in that. I mean, does anyone ever do that when you're having a really bad day or you fall down the stairs or something really bad happens to you and you stand up and rejoice and laugh and cheer? I mean, does anyone do that? I mean, if someone slapped me across the face, would I turn to them and say, thank you, I really needed that bruise in my life. My life's been too easy lately. Is that really where Paul is going? No, I believe the point is that we know and believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that circumstances don't define us. They can't define us. Our true and authentic relationship with the Lord and the eternal hope that he gives us is what defines us. That's what Paul's saying. The circumstances of life will be up and they'll be down. They'll be good and they'll be bad. There'll be mountains, there'll be valleys. But that does not define you, or it shouldn't define you. What defines you is your steady, stable, eternal relationship with the Lord. The bad circumstances and unpleasant circumstances of life cannot change the truth that God loves you. Cannot and does not. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because of the Lord. Rejoice because you have a relationship with the Lord of the universe. Rejoice because God says, I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No matter what you go through, I will be there. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. So apply the love of God. I think this is quite simple, what he's saying. Apply the love of God to those crummy circumstances you're facing right now. If those crummy circumstances are your life, and that's the end of your life, then you have every reason to be depressed. But if the circumstances of life, although painful and hurtful and hard, 
don't define you and you have a relationship with the Lord, someone who's watching over you, someone who's even shaping you in the midst of those trials, someone who is one day going to invite you into the kingdom of God, Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. The number one strategy to life-changing peace is simply think about Jesus. Think about how good you have it because of Jesus. Think about what you would be without Jesus. And then rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Here's number two. Act like a Christian. The number two strategy to finding life-changing peace is if you're a Christian, act like a Christian. He goes on to say this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul continues by telling us to be fair. That's what reasonable means. Be fair, be appropriate to people in this life. Okay? Give people generosity and kindness as much as you possibly can to everyone in your life. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is one day going to return. In fact, he has told us often it's going to be soon. I am coming again soon. Therefore, be fair and appropriate and kind and generous to everyone. Let everyone know that that is your legacy. That is your character. The Lord should both hear constant rejoicing from his people and see that his people are good examples of love and charity upon this earth. When he returns, that's what he wants to see. That my people are loving, are charitable, are kind, are generous, are fair, are appropriate to those around them. If the Lord comes back and sees us acting like the world, we're not awaiting his return. We're not anticipating his return. We're not appropriate. We're not reasonable. That would be tragic. If the Lord comes back and finds us unprepared for him to come back, that's going to be tragic. The Lord says, I'm at hand. I am coming again soon. Therefore, act like it. He also guides us to let go of our anxieties. Just as Paul boldly told us to rejoice always, he now tells us to be anxious about nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. Consider that statement. Consider the bold nature of that statement. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, again, if someone doesn't know what they're talking about, that, that's like eye-rolling material, okay? Like, really, Paul? Re be anxious about nothing? But once we read what Paul has gone through, that statement is powerful. If Paul did not go through what he went through, that doesn't hold any weight. But for a man to be whipped 39 times, beaten with rods, shipwrecked three times, to go through dangers and trials and hardships all his life, and then for him to say to us, be anxious about nothing, that makes it a very, very powerful statement. Paul not only survived his trials, but he came through them and continued to follow the Lord Jesus faithfully. He must have had help to do that. He must have had a tremendous amount of peace to be able to do that. I've also noticed this about anxiety. Anxiety tends to match our standard of living. And my point is this. Anxiety finds everybody. Did you know that? Anxiety is not a respecter of persons. It's kind of like the poor person and the rich person who both live paycheck to paycheck. One is rich, one is poor, the rich person has more than the poor person, but they're both struggling financially because it's matched their standard of living. 
So both the poor person and the rich person are struggling financially. And that's kind of how anxiety works as well. It's typically not a respecter of persons. It's going to find everybody. Did you know that? Everyone will be anxious about something. If you're poor, you'll be anxious you won't have enough to eat. If you're rich, you'll be anxious that people are going to steal from you. If you're sick, you'll be anxious you're going to die. If you're healthy, you'll be anxious you're going to get sick. If you don't have a job, you'll be anxious about your bills. If you have a good job, you'll be anxious that one day you're going to get fired. If you've suffered the loss of a loved one, you'll be anxious you're never going to get over the grief. If your loved ones are all healthy, you'll be anxious that one day they're going to get sick and die. Do you notice that? Anxiety finds everybody. Everybody. And Paul says, be anxious about nothing. But anxiety is all around us. It is all around us. In fact, it may be more around us than we've ever seen and lived through before. There's always something to be anxious about. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, as soon as I solve one fire, put one fire out, what happens? I find another fire. Right? Isn't that how life goes? There's always something to be anxious about if we let ourselves. If we think we have justifiable reasons to be anxious, then so does everybody. If you say here today, well, you don't understand my circumstance, I have every reason to be anxious, well, then everyone does. Everyone has a reason to be anxious. I can tell you my sob story, you can tell me your sob story, and we can all be anxious together because that's how anxiety works. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. That's easy to say, Paul. That's easy to say. But anxiety helps us, right? Sometimes it helps us cope. Sometimes anxiety seems like a friend when we worry and we fret and we overthink things. It helps us feel like we're doing something, that we have some control over that situation. Because I'm worrying, I'm fretting, I'm overthinking it. I am in somewhat control of that situation. And I believe if Paul heard us think that way, then he would ask us this question. Then why do you have a God? If you need control over your life to that degree, then why do you have a God? You believe that anxiety is a coping mechanism for dealing with hard things and perhaps staying on task. Then why do you have a God? If you could do everything on your own, you don't need God. But do we need God? Do we need God? I would hope you would absolutely affirm in your life, I absolutely need God. And my anxiety should draw that out. Not only that, did you know how many negative physical symptoms can be caused simply by being anxious? Maybe you do. Maybe you've looked this up before, but I'm going to mention some physical symptoms that I found online simply that are caused by anxiety. Now, this is not because you're sick, okay? Simply by being anxious, you can get this huge list of physical symptoms. Let me read a few of them. And tell me which of these sound good to you, okay? Which of these you actually want in your life. Number one, Feeling nervous, restless, or tense. Does anyone like that? When I traveled to Iowa in, in the plane, I felt nervous, restless, and tense. And I kept saying I want to get home because that's not a good feeling. I don't like feeling nervous, restless, and tense. But anxiety makes me feel that way. Anxiety gives you a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom. Anyone signing up for that? Anxiety gives you an increased heart rate. Not from working out, simply by worrying and being anxious. You have an increased heart rate. Anxiety causes you to breathe rapidly or even hyperventilate. Anyone like breathing into a brown paper bag? Anyone want to do that more? Sweating. Again, not from working out. Anxiety can cause your body to sweat. It can cause you to tremble. 
actually shake. It can cause you to feel weak and tired. It can give you trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry. It can cause you to not sleep. You can experience gastrointestinal problems simply because you're anxious. Did you know that? Your tummy will be upset. You will have difficulty controlling your worry and you will have the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety. In other words, you will find reasons to not go out into the, to the world simply because you're worried and you're anxious. All of those things are caused simply by being anxious, and I'm sure there's more than those. But basically, we're all suffering in so many ways that we don't have to. We don't have to. Because we do have a God. We do have a God. And not just a God, but a God who is almighty. That's how the scripture describes our God. He is almighty. He is a God who is sovereign. That means he is in total, complete control. And we have a God who is love. You have a God who is almighty. You have a God who is in complete control. And you have a God who loves you intensely. Our God is powerful. Our God is in control, and our God loves us more than any of our loved ones combined. Wouldn't it be nice to have a God like that in our lives to help us for times we're feeling anxious? Well, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you do have that God. You do, and so do I. And not only is God in your life, but he's watching over you carefully like a loving, doting father, excited to step in and help you when you need him. Because the last thing God wants for us is to suffer needlessly. These symptoms we read about, that are, those aren't trials God puts us through. Those are symptoms we bring upon ourselves because we're worried. And God doesn't want those things for us. Being anxious about our lives, according to Paul, is needless suffering. Believe me, being a Christian is hard enough without us adding unnecessary suffering to our lives. And being anxious has no business in our lives if we believe God is real and if he loves us deeply, which he is and he does. So what's the solution to being anxious when you have an almighty, sovereign, loving God? Paul does not leave us hanging. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious, period. He says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, that means asking of God, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love when it's clearly laid out in Scripture. I love when it tells me what to do next. I'm anxious. Don't be anxious. Well, then what do I do? Well, take your requests to God and thank him. If Paul would have said, don't be anxious, period, and moved on, I would struggle knowing what to do. And so would you. I would struggle knowing what to do. If he said, Todd, don't be anxious, that's silly. Don't do it. Okay, that's not enough. But if he tells me exactly what to do, that helps me. If we didn't know what to do, we would probably try worldly methods. Like I said about breathing in a paper bag, maybe yoga, meditation. We'd find something weird to try in this earth to help cope with our anxiety. Or we might even find a sinful outlet to help relieve our stress. Sometimes that happens as well. I'm stressed, therefore I'm going to sin. Because in the moment it makes me feel good. But we don't have to do any of that. Paul says when you are feeling anxious, pause. Right then, pause. And give yourselves to prayer. When you're feeling anxious, bow your head. Get alone. Pray to God, even if you're driving, no matter where you are. Wherever you are, talk to your Heavenly Father and confess to Him what you're anxious about. 
He already knows, but he wants you to own up to it. What am I anxious about? Let me hear from my child. And then ask him for strength and peace. He's not going to tease you. He desires to give you exactly what you need when you need it. And Paul says, don't even stop there. Do it with thanksgiving. When you ask, thank the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like you're thanking him before you get it. Lord, thank you for what you're going to provide. Thank you for how you're going to help the situation because I know that you will. And by doing that, you act as if you know he hears you and that you know he desires to help you. God, thank you. I need this help. I need your help. I need your strength and your peace. And thank you for when you give it to me. Now, when we act that way, we're doing exactly what we should be doing. We are believing in God, not just intellectually, but we're believing in God practically, and we're proving our trust in him by going to him first. Before we go to any other methods or anyone else, we go to God first, and we say, God, you alone can help me. And then by faith, we should thank the Lord for how he will hear us, because he does hear us, and he will provide strength. He will grant us the peace according to his will. He will. It's not going to be like the carrot hanging over the donkey's head that the donkey never gets, okay? He just has to keep running and running and running. God will grant us the peace and strength we need when we need it. That is the single greatest solution to anxiety. We need to pray and ask our God for help and then thank him for all that he has done and all that he will do according to help us. And let me give you as a testimony, not to embarrass her, but I saw my mom do that when my dad was passing. I saw my mom, who I know has many weaknesses, I saw my mom find strength from her God, peace from her God that she couldn't have had otherwise. She's a living testimony that it works. It works because God gives you what you need. When you need it and when you ask him, he grants it. He loves to grant it. And here's another thing. Anxiety does not help us follow Jesus. When I'm anxious... It thwarts me from serving the kingdom of God. It doesn't help me. Those lists of symptoms that we read about anxiety, that's the very opposite of helping me follow Jesus. That's keeping me from serving Jesus. That's keeping me from obeying and focusing and following the Lord. No one wants to be anxiety-free more than God wants us to be anxiety-free. Did you know that? God wants our lives free of anxiety more than we do. And listen to the promise from God, who cannot break a promise. Listen to what he says. If we listen to his strategy for beating anxiety, this is what God says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it doesn't even make sense in our minds, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord will drop down a spiritual barricade for our hearts and minds to help protect us from any further damage from the devil. A big old castle door right in the way and say, nope, no more. They've had enough. His peace will be granted to us. It will surpass our understanding. It will not make sense. I don't know how I was that strong. I don't know how I had that kind of peace, but I did from my God. Do you think God has peace? Notice the phrasing, the peace of God. (laughs) I love that. The peace of God. Do you think God is at peace right now? Do you think God himself is at peace right now? And if so, why? Why is God at peace right now? Uh, We were watching this movie the other day where it had this really strong guy in it. And uh, this really strong guy was the main character. Okay, he was really strong. And he was walking through a dangerous area. 
an area that I would never walk through, okay, with a lot of bad guys. And the bad guys were all giving this guy the eye, like they wanted to rob him and hurt him, okay? Like these were bad guys and they were giving this guy the eye. But this guy didn't seem bothered at all. Yes, I know it's a movie, but it's an illustration. The bad guys did not threaten this man nor harm this man because this man was much bigger and much stronger than they were. This man was at peace and he knew it. He was at perfect peace in a place of serious danger. Do you think the Almighty God is at peace? Do you think anything worries him? Do you think anything bothers our God? Do you think anything makes him lose his sleep and lose his peace? Or do you think God has complete confidence in what he's able to do and when he's able to do it, and he can do it and he will do it? Now, TGD spoke to us a couple weeks ago how Jesus once single-handedly beat thousands of demons in a fight without lifting his finger. That's how at peace my Lord is. When thousands of demons encounter him, he doesn't run away. He doesn't strategize. He simply wields power that doesn't even cause energy, and he wins the battle. Do you think God's peace would be nice to have in your life? Do you think that kind of peace would be nice to have in your life? Listen to it again. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now that's a promise from the Almighty God. Take it to the bank. If you want that kind of peace, all you have to do is go get it. Go ask for it, and he will grant it to you. And this God, this peace of God is beyond human understanding. Once you have it, you can't really explain it. I've been there. I've had peace, and I didn't really know how to explain it, nor can I compare it to anything else I've experienced before. This peace is the same peace that God himself has. And we simply receive it by asking him and thanking him for it. It's that simple. Now, as a pastor, I need to confess this. I think most pastors would probably confess this. Pastors are prone to anxiety. Did you know that? Pastors face anxiety a lot. Maybe more than the average Christian. And I'll confess, anxiety has caused me a lot of sleeplessness. A lot of tummy issues. And a lack of peace that is a shame for a pastor to admit because I have access to the almighty God of the universe who loves me with an eternal love. And so do you. And that God desires that you have peace and that I have peace today. Number three, to close. This one will be more, more brief and to the point. He says this, think about the best things. If you want a peace that passes all understanding, if you want God's peace, if you want a peace that changes your life, think about the best things. He has one more piece of instruction for us to get this life-changing peace. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, look at that list. That is precisely why we teach the Bible. Did you know that? This is why we teach the Bible. This is precisely why we come to church together. This is precisely why we need to stay away from sinful messages. If you want the peace of God, not only in moments, but in the theme of your life, as the theme of your life, you need to set your mind on the right kind of things. The best things. Now, for 12 years, I worked with young men. And I've said this before. It was amazing to me when I worked with young men that they would all confess to battling lustful thoughts. Every young man, almost every young man I've ever discipled and gotten to know has confessed to me 
over battling lustful thoughts. And I would ask them this question because I went through that myself. I would ask them this question. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you viewing on your phone? And you know what the common answer was? Lustful images. You're battling lustful thoughts and you're looking at lustful images. <laughs> now, if I ask my children, I'm going to ask them right now, guys, what is two plus two? Thank you, Haddon. Are you guys convinced? Is it four? Two plus two equals four. They know the answer is four because we've taught them and they've seen the mathematics. But when I ask young adult men this equation, what is free time plus lustful images, what does that equal? They seem to have never thought of that equation before. See, Paul is doing simple mathematics here. If we want God's peace in our life at all times, we have to think about the things that God does. We've got to think about true things from Scripture. We've got to think about honorable things that bring God glory. We've got to think about just things, fair things, pure things, lovely things, commendable things, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of God's praise. Because you know what? If we do that, guess what we're not thinking about? Scary things. The unknown. Dangerous things. Sinful things. Unholy things and lustful things. The things that are all joy and peace stealing will not get into our minds because our minds will already be full with the things that are good. Peace giving things that cause us joy and security and satisfaction in the Lord. All of those things do that. So why do you read scripture? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you hear sermons? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Because it fills your mind with the best things. That's why. And those best things equal peace. And this is not just a mind exercise because Paul says this as well. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, or I could say that as your pastor, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice them. And notice what will happen. The God of peace will be with you. Now that might be even a level beyond God's peace. Notice what he says. You won't just have God's peace. You'll have the God of peace. Do you remember what I said about that movie with that really big guy, that strong guy? If I was walking into a dangerous area, I would want that guy right next to me. And I would want him on my team. Because I would feel peace with him next to me. So not only, if you think about the right things, will you get God's version of peace, you will have the God of peace with you wherever you go. Now that's the second promise God has made to us, but really it's the same promise twice. If we want God's peace to permeate our lives, we can have it today, this very day. And we can have it every day for the rest of our lives, but we have to do it the way God has taught us. And before we close, let's go over these three things again. If you want God's peace, this is the way to find it because it comes right out of the word of God. If you want God's peace, if you want the God of peace, number one, rejoice in the Lord. Not in your circumstances, okay? We're not rejoicing in the pain. We're rejoicing in the Lord who's in control of the pain. Rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in what God is doing. Rejoice in what God has promised to do. But more than that, even rejoice in who he is. Rejoice in God's beauty. Rejoice in God's value to your life. Rejoice in God's power. Rejoice in God's love. Rejoice in God's sovereignty. Rejoice in the Lord and the peace of him will fill our souls. Rejoice in the Lord. Number two, act like a Christian. Be good examples of what it looks like to believe in God by showing kindness and love and charity to others in this world. And by believing that we're not alone in this life. 
We have a heavenly Father waiting to help us if we will only seek his face for what is causing us anxiety and worry. We don't have to be anxious. It's that simple. We don't have to be. We can make the decision today to take it to the Lord and get his strength and get his peace. And here's number three. Think about the best things. Flood your minds. And I don't mean do a little 20-minute devotional every 24 hours. That's not flooding your mind. Flood your mind with godly messages from Scripture. Wherever you can get it, wherever you can get good godly messages that flood your mind with peace, find them and get them in your life. And then watch out for anything toxic from the world that wants to occupy space in your mind, okay? Because it's often been said, and I believe in this statement, that when the devil gets the mind, the devil gets the man. I believe in that statement. If the devil gets your mind, he gets all of you. Don't let him. Don't let him by making bad choices for what you put into your minds. On the contrary, fill and flood your minds with things that are good that God cares about. And it's this simple. If we do it God's way, we will have peace. We will. We must have peace because the Almighty God has just promised us that we will. And this peace, once we have it, it will surpass your understanding. And it will utterly change your life as you walk this narrow, difficult path because you'll have the same joy and the same peace that Paul experienced. You'll have the same joy and the same peace that Jesus experienced. And a quite simple answer, a question for you today is, are you ready for life-changing peace? The same peace that God himself has today. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, as I've mentioned before, I need this message maybe more than anyone in this room. And I thank you. I thank you for it. I thank you for a timely message in my life that I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be worried. I can give my concerns to you. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can pray to the Lord. I can thank the Lord. I could fill my life with the best things, the best thoughts, the best images, Father, and I will have your life-changing peace, and I want it, and I want it for everyone I care about. I want it for everyone in this room, and I pray that you'd help us find it today simply by doing what you've taught us. Come to God. Come to God in prayer. Rejoice in the Lord, and do what we have to to fill our mind with his godly good messages, because we need that peace. It will change our lives, and it will change our lives forever. Father, thank you for this message. Bless it for your own sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.